Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Yippee-ki-yay, Mother Putin! The president's surprise trip to Kiev this morning into a war zone to meet Volodymyr Zelensky virtually a year after Putin expected to own Kiev to symbolically, personally deliver half a billion dollars more in aid to Ukraine as the sun broke over Ukraine and across the United States on our President's Day. It works on so many levels to so many different audiences that it borders on genius. The first audience for which all this is intended? You. The news of Joe Biden's surprise, no, shock trip broke about 5 a.m. Eastern, meaning there basically wasn't anybody in the United States who did not wake up to that audio and video of Biden in his simple black overcoat and his neat suit and his aviators walking with Zelensky out of St. Michael's Cathedral in Kiev as the Ukrainian national air raid siren went off. It is nearly impossible to surprise the American public anymore about anything, at least that part of the American public that pays attention to politics and world events. And yet here it is. What do you mean Biden went to Ukraine overnight? 
if there is any wavering of support in this country for backing Ukraine against Russian aggression and butchery, if there is any swerving away a year in from the reality that for the one time since 1939, the world is actually faced with the fact that that message, if they don't fight them there, we may wind up fighting them here, that that's almost literally true and not just an excuse to go into Korea or Vietnam or Iraq. If anything is in fact melting away, nothing does more to shore up American door-to-door resolve than that video, than that audio, than that siren, than that simple message. Biden in Ukraine. The timing for the president is also exquisite. It is President's Day. It is the one-year anniversary of the week of our warnings to Zelensky himself. This country was, of course, actually ahead of Ukraine in our understanding of what Putin intended to do a year ago today. And no matter what the bleating of our local neighborhood American fascists in the Republican Party might say, the Biden appearance is worth a thousand speeches from morons like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Trader Green, who are back home in their beds trying to figure out how to spell Ukraine. And if you want a little further juxtaposition, and I believe this was accidental, what was supposed to be an anti-war protest in front of the White House yesterday, the rage against the war machine, turned out to be people carrying not only Putin's war machine Z banner, the ones that his troops were carrying as they invaded, and carrying Soviet Union red hammer and sickle flags, And the optics of that are so laugh-out-loud tone-deaf that if you told me that the flags and the banners and the marchers were actually supplied sotto voce by the White House, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Soviet flags in front of the White House, supposedly for peace, anti-war Soviet Union flags, the hammer and sickle, as Russia tries to annex Ukraine and Putin tries to rebuild the Soviet empire and win the Cold War 33 years later and dominate Europe? Could there be a less popular cause in the United States? What a contrast. The impact in Ukraine, of course, is almost automatically understood. Their country was not subsumed by the Russian war machine. And yet a year of incredible hardships and death and destruction. Even after all that, it is not free of Russia. And it is hard to imagine that even if internal forces in Russia were to begin to gather against Putin right now, that it will not be another year before Ukraine will be safe, if it will be safe. So Biden's sudden appearance on a Monday morning in Kiev is exactly the kind of symbolism that will boost the already extraordinary courage and endurance of my Ukrainian cousins. It's like a renewal of strength. And just as obvious is the message to Russia. Vlad, you're going to keep at this? So are we. Americans then and now, like to think that the Soviet Union collapsed in large part because of, if you are a Reagan worshiper, Reagan, or if you are living in this world, American diligence in confronting the last hardline Soviet leaders like Brezhnev under President Johnson, President Nixon, President Carter, and President Reagan. 
But in point of fact, the Soviets largely self-destructed. The seeds of the end of their empire in the early 1990s will sound awfully familiar to the America of 2023. The Soviets invaded Afghanistan in 1979 in what that era's Russian leaders would thought to have been a quick outcome that they were going to handle and win in a matter of days, months, or maybe a year. A decade and what would be about $115 billion later, the Russians had nothing but body bags and angry civilians back home. And more importantly, it was the first sign to the average Russian on the street that the world was not what the Kremlin said it was. And now Putin seems hell-bent on recreating Afghanistan in Ukraine today. There is the old story of rival businessmen making competing American sports leagues a century ago. The established leagues warned the newcomer businessmen that this would be very expensive for them. The newcomers, with far more money and resources, scoffed, and their leader said to the leader of the established leagues, you send your man and he and I can stand at the Hudson River and we can throw silver dollars in one at a time. We'll see who runs out of silver dollars first. It won't be me. The established leagues sued for peace. There is one more external message contained in Biden's trip today, and that is made to Beijing. There have been renewed rumors of China coming in to support Russia with materiel. The United States has for a year been warning the Chinese to keep back and stay back, and they have. But if they were rethinking that, if Biden's actions against the Chinese spy balloon and what now looks like something between overly cautious actions against other flying things here and, well, pure stunt work in the sky, if those were not warning enough to China, one imagines the Chinese got the message this morning, especially with the Chinese foreign minister being in Moscow today. The message... You want to get involved, President Xi? You want to throw your weight around on this? You really think destabilizing conflict in Europe that has to end either with Russia ascendant or NATO ascendant is somehow in your interest? Go ahead, China. Throw your weight around. You've got your man there. Tell Putin you can be the front man in peace talks and you can give Putin a climb down so that Ukraine does not end with him losing power. Be the mediator, China. That's the message to them today. Lastly, there is one final group for whom Biden's shock trip to the Ukrainian capital this morning will be a potent message and potent symbolism and may have even been intended as such. I speak frequently here about the American political media industrial complex and its overwhelming simplicity of mind. It can only process four or five templates. It can only understand four or five types of stories. It only has four or five cubbyholes into which it must try to shove every story from wayward presidential relatives to coup attempts. Well, today's trip is template number two. It is story B. It fits perfectly into cubbyhole upper left. Even American political reporters, commentators, networks, guests, analysts, columnists, stenographers, pundits, and parrots saw Joe Biden this morning and said, hey, I know who he is. I know what he's doing. They all now can clear their throats and intone the words they love to say. Against the brilliant midwinter sky, the President of the United States arrived in war-torn 
Ukraine. It's Ukraine, right? In war-torn Ukraine, where the plucky... Ukrainish? Ukrainian president, blah, 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 blah. Our president even gave the American political media a standard wartime speech with dozens of different quotes to choose from. You and all Ukrainians, Mr. President, remind the world every single day what the meaning of the word courage is. From all sectors of your economy, all walks all life. It's astounding. Astounding. Remind us that freedom is priceless. It's worth fighting for for as long as it takes. And that's how long we're going to be with you, Mr. President, for as long as it takes. We'll do it. Thank you. Yippee Kaye, Mother Putin, and Yippee Kaye, New York Times. Back after this with the issue of those spreading Russian propaganda in this country, Musk, Tucker Carlson, and, you know, parts of the Republican Party. That's next on this special edition of Countdown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. 
and I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We must remove Russia from the United Nations. Putin is doubling down in Ukraine, again targeting civilians and now positioning himself as a victim not of the retaliations of war, but of terrorism. And it got little attention here, but a Russian hacker group has taken 13 U.S. air travel websites offline, including the official sites for LAX and Hartsfield in Atlanta. The distributed denial-of-service attacks did no permanent damage and did not last long, but they are the proverbial shots across the bow against this country's bow from an increasingly desperate Vladimir Putin. Removing Russia from the U.N. is, of course, a million times easier said than done. At the U.N.'s formation, Russia was given veto power in the Security Council, and it has thus stopped even the most milk toast of U.N. responses about Ukraine, even after these latest atrocities in Russia's eight-month-long atrocity against Ukraine. The only way to get rid of Russia is to dissolve the current United Nations and form a new organization without Russia. And that could only happen if China were to go along with it. That is possible, given a chance to knock Russia down in at least the formal arena of diplomacy, the Chinese might just go for it. It still remains the longest of long shots. The more immediate and practical alternative is for the president to formally designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. This is one step the Russians genuinely fear because it would not only increase sanctions against the country and its leaders and its oligarchs, but it would force many worldwide corporations to make a choice, do business with the United States or Russia. And indeed, it would penalize other countries for doing business with Russia. It is a little over a month since President Biden last dismissed the idea, saying through a spokesperson that declaring them a terrorism sponsor could impact humanitarian efforts and perhaps peace negotiations. Well, the humanitarian efforts are on the rocks as it is. And if after this last weekend, anybody in the administration actually sees peace negotiations in the future, they are hallucinating. Ukrainian President Zelensky has come out and said it. He will never talk peace with Russia as long as Putin is its dictator. But we need to do something more about Russia. And obviously, we are not going to get into a shooting war with Russia. And we are not going to cut off all diplomatic relations with Russia. But we haven't even addressed relatively minor symbolic acts like offering Russian athletes playing in this country a choice of renouncing their Russian citizenships or being banned from making their millions here. The need to do something more about Russia is, of course, not just about Russia. It's also about Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson and Michael Flynn and CPAC, because after years of our international moral force being replaced by Trump's international protection money NATO scheme, this country again stood up for right against wrong. And just as we need to make it harder for Russia to bomb playgrounds, we need to make it harder for Musk and Carlson and the others to supply Russian TV with an endless stream of anti-Ukrainian sound bites which is beginning to reach the outskirts of Tokyo Rose territory. Like all stupid rich men, 
Elon Musk has assumed that his wealth has somehow bought him intelligence that he did not have. It has been two days since he tweeted about the Russian conflict. On that occasion, he repeated the old Russian fable about the man granted a single wish with the caveat that whatever he gets, his neighbor will get two of. In that case, the man says, please poke one of my eyes out. Musk's insight inspired by that fable? His pearl of wisdom to his 108 million followers, quote, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind, which is, of course, the exact opposite of the moral of the Russian fable he quotes, which is that Russians are happy to destroy half of their world if it would destroy all of somebody else's. It was Musk, of course, who thought he was moving towards Nobel Peace Prize nominations by taking the Russian demands for Ukraine and presenting them as his own merely because he added United Nations supervision to annexation votes in the region Russia has seized. Naturally, he put it out as a Twitter poll where it lost 67% to 32%. Naturally, he then concluded the vote had been changed by the biggest bot attack I've ever seen. Naturally, he then followed up by re-presenting the same plebiscite idea, only using different words. Naturally, he was criticized by such great actual Russian patriots and anti-Putinists as Garry Kasparov. Naturally, Musk responded to Kasparov, We gave Starlinks to Ukraine and lost $80 million plus in doing so. What have you done besides tweet? And when readers explained Kasparov was repeatedly jailed by Putin and beaten by Russian police, Musk went silent. And everything he writes or says winds up being played on Russian television and given widespread coverage on the RT international channels and websites. If Musk is motivated by money here, you'll note from the tweet his $80 million is more important to him than Kasparov being arrested and beaten. It is more than likely entirely his own money. But the specter of the Russians actually paying some of the anti-Ukrainian voices in our country has been raised. It is not yet two weeks since CPAC issued and then tried to retract pure Putin propaganda. Quote, Vladimir Putin announces the annexation of four Ukrainian-occupied territories. Biden and the Dems continue to send Ukraine billions of taxpayer dollars. Meanwhile, we are under attack at our southern border. When will Democrats put America first and end the gift-giving to Ukraine? The message was so blatant that military journalist David Larter, formerly of Navy Times and Defense News, said that the FBI should take a look at the money flowing into CPAC and where it's coming from, and that's not a joke, end quote. It was the former John McCain campaigner Steve Schmidt who observed last spring that the Russians had been trying to buy their way into the Republican Party since at least 2006 and 2007, and that McCain's campaign manager, Rick Davis, was tied to Paul Manafort and Oleg Deripaska and through them to Putin. Starting more or less contemporaneously with Schmidt's observations, Tucker Carlson began to side with Russia every night. His work was so consistent and dependable that they began to rebroadcast entire segments on state TV in Russia with captions, though delightfully they got his name wrong and continually called him Tuxen Carlson. When the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline was sabotaged, Tuxen Carlson stated as if it were true, he said, that is true, that we were the ones who blew it up, that Joe Biden did it directly or through proxies. And he continued his theme that Biden's actions for Ukraine are actually actions against Russia, quote, 
as payback for getting Trump elected, unquote. Of Trump's own ties to Russia and the lengths to which he went to bury them, the lengths to which he is still trying to bury them, I don't know that anything new can be said. However they do it, the Russians own Trump. There are others. There is at least one host on the Real America's Voice streaming network who has praised Putin for claiming the American left is satanic. The former UN WMD inspector Scott Ritter is a frequent guest on Russian television praising Putin. And I played this next clip yesterday, but it is worth hearing again. This is the former, however briefly, national security advisor to the president of the United States, Michael Garbage Flynn famous for attending a 2015 Moscow gala and sitting at the head table with Vladimir Putin. These are not uh, shy leaders. These are bold leaders who have every uh, everything at stake in terms of protecting their country. So these these fools and I and like I said about Zelensky and his statement about nuclear war, and people can go to the various telegram and or my various social media and see it. That, that is a foolish person. But what's more, what's more uh, dangerous than that is a, is a dangerous fool. There is, however, some comic relief in this whole grim business. To circle back to Tuxin Carlson or Jiminy Glick, call him what you will, Tucker Carlson has had, as a hand-wringing guest, the loathsome former congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. What you will hear next is two commentators on Russian TV as the clip of Carlson and Gabbard plays. The first says her comments are important because she is a member of the Democratic Party and thus an internal critic of Joe Biden. The second one says, with clear regret in his voice, Nah, sorry, I wish, but Tulsi Gabbard blames Biden for everything all the time. Tulsi Gabbard. Это она, собственно, говорит. Нет, нет, Толси Габбард этого не говорит. Ну, она хорошо. всегда говорит, что виноват во всем Байден и администрация Байдена. Хорошо. Нет, нет. Lastly, there is no avoiding the reality that many of us now calling to push the envelope as far as we safely can against Russia. Find out which of its defenders here are being paid by that nation or its intermediaries. Designate Russia as state sponsors of terror. Reform the United Nations without Russia. We are in the extraordinary position of acting against everything we have proclaimed in the past. I grew up thinking that the Russians were a menace only because of the nature of their government at that time. And I really believed when the Soviet Union fell apart piece by piece that they could create and protect something very close to democracy. Silly me. Ideally, though, I would like to be right all the time, 24 hours a day, forever. But, as a second option, I'd rather be right, right now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic me and things i promised not to tell early in 2007 my phone rang at msnbc headquarters in new jersey the senator would like to take you to lunch the next time he's in new york he needs your advice would you be interested it was joe biden's press guy my first reaction was to ask if they had called the wrong number My next reaction was to make sure this was not some sort of policy question, because as a news anchor and commentator for MSNBC, it did not seem appropriate to offer advice to a candidate for his party's presidential nomination. And (laughs) doesn't that seem quite right now, Sean Hannity? No, I was told it was more technical, more about communications, no policy. My antique standards satisfied, I said, sure. They gave me a couple of dates. They suggested, given his schedule, the best place to eat would be a restaurant in Manhattan. And it turned out it happened to be about 45 seconds from my home. So the day and hour arrived, March 27th, 2007. And I made it to the restaurant all the way down there, 45 seconds from my home. I sat down and moments later, in came the senator from Delaware and his press guy. He had the big welcoming smile and equally big welcoming handshake that you may have seen from back when candidates could still go greet the people in the crowd. He reminded me that we had met briefly when he was in Los Angeles for the 2000 Democratic Convention and happened to be staying in the hotel there in which I lived. Senator Biden then said some nice things about my days in sports and particularly about the commentaries I had begun to do the previous summer on MSNBC. Those special comments, he said, with first a smile and then a whistle. There was then and there remains now almost no space between the public Joe Biden of the campaign or the presidency and the guy who talks informally to some knucklehead off the streets, which in this story is me. 
the word malarkey was used during our lunch. And I remember that particularly because, as I told him, I went to grammar school with a kid named Malarkey. And he was delighted by that. And he said he assumed we gave the fellow a hard time. And I said, yeah, but not because of his name. None of us third graders knew what malarkey meant. Why'd you give him a hard time then, Biden asked. It was the third grade, I said. Everybody gave everybody a hard time. He liked that answer. But back to the point of the lunch. Your language in these special comments, he said. In those days, people often brought up my language. See, I used to tell President Bush to shut the hell up, only because they wouldn't let me use the other word. And some of the events of that presidency so infuriated me that I would actually redden on camera, and I don't redden in a sauna. Once, my high school history teacher, a distinguished and elegant man whose nine older siblings had been born in Vienna and who had the courtliness, which that implies, mentioned the language of the special comments, and I thought I was in for it. He, Walter Schneller, told me on the day I had graduated that my plans to be a sportscaster were very nice, and he was sure I would go and do that, but that he was also sure that I would wind up in politics someday, either as reporter or combatant, and I told him I was flattered, but he was crazy. Mr. Schneller was the one who years later was put in charge of the school's surprisingly generous fund for bringing in speakers to address the student body. And he was very annoyed by the fact that for decades, all of the speakers had either looked like Hugh Seide, the columnist for Time magazine, or they had been Hugh Seide, the columnist for Time magazine. He began scouring the Northeast for anybody smart who might have a diverse background, and that's how... He happened to be driving to the railroad station at Tarrytown, New York, one morning in 1991 to meet the train that carried that day's guest speaker, an editor of the Harvard Law Review named Barack Obama. His last words to Obama were, I'm sure you're going to go very far. So Mr. Schneller and I were talking about the commentaries, again, about 2006 or 7, and he said, about the language. And I braced myself and preemptively apologized. No, no, he said urgently. You miss my point entirely. I am amazed that your language is so restrained. If I were speaking, I'd have called Mr. Bush a... And thereupon, Mr. Schneller made reference to somebody's mother. So, when Joe Biden asked about the language I used, I was wary, but he followed it by saying that it was kind of why he had asked me to lunch. I watch those commentaries you do, and people send me the video, and my staffers tell me about them. And every time I think the same thing. Here you are expressing anger, but as close as it comes to the line, you never cross it. I say to my staff, folks, is he too angry for you? And they say, no, just right. So here's my question, and then we can enjoy this great lunch here. When I'm passionate about something and I speak on the Senate floor or anywhere else, I get told my, by my friends and my enemies, you're too angry. And when I really am angry, they all say, you're really too angry. And here Joe Biden laughed. Now, you, you go on TV, far larger audience, far longer speeches, and people say, that Olderman guy, he's righteously indignant. And now, with a mixture of laughter, astonishment, and curiosity, he said, me, I'm angry. You, you're righteously indignant. How do you do that? How do you do it, man? Can you tell me? Without thinking, I replied, you have been in the Senate for how long now, Senator? 34 years? He nodded. And you're only just asking this question now? 
The words were barely out of my mouth when I froze. This was not a friend or a colleague who would take the little joking jab I had just thrown in the way in which I intended. This was a politician. Politicians may have senses of humor, but very few have a sense of humor about themselves. In that split second, I assumed Joe Biden might get up and leave. And he was silent for a moment, and then the corners of his mouth turned up, and to my great relief, he burst into laughter. He rocked back into his chair. He slapped the table with a palm. My God, that's funny. More laughter. My God, it's true. Louder laughter. I don't mind telling you I have loved him ever since. I didn't think I had much advice for Senator Biden, but as we talked about this topic, he asked me follow-up questions that made me analyze for the first time some of the processes I used when writing and reading on television. I'd never thought of them before because I'd never had lunch with Joe Biden before. I will not bore you with the full results of the dissection of the process of turning anger into righteous indignation. The most valuable conclusion was the oldest one in the book. I always wrote late at night while fully angry, and then in the morning I would take things out of the script, usually the juicier adjectives. Whatever anger was left was only the most intense and the most justifiable, and if you present it 24 hours after you have written it, you'll be in control of the anger. Your anger will not be in control of you. Shorter version, sleep on it. I saw the senator next in August of 2007. Democratic primary debate, the AFL-CIO candidates forum officially. Soldier Field, Chicago. It was outdoors. 95 degrees, 95% humidity, threat of killer thunderstorms. Obama, Clinton, Biden, Dodd, Richardson, Kucinich, Edwards, and the moderator, me. There are photos of this, Joe Biden and I walking towards each other, hands extended for a greeting. And I remember it clearly, he is literally asking me if I've noticed that he's been trying to turn his anger into righteous indignation, and he's asking me if I thought he'd succeeded. Well, he did not succeed in that debate. He actually came over to me during the commercial break and told me what he was going to do when we came back. And I told him, don't do that. And he did it anyway. And it looked bad, and later he let me know I was right and he was wrong. And since then, I can't recall him being angry. Certainly not inappropriately angry. Not even in those debates with that goddamn madman. His words were harsh. The tone was less so. Perfect. A+. plus. But it occurs to me in all the analysis of all the changes in Joe Biden since day one in 1973 or even the vice presidency, nobody touches on this one thing. As late as 15 years ago, he seemed to be a hothead. When was the last time he was accused of that? I'm not saying I had anything to do with that. But two years in, and he's not even accused of being a hothead. It's an awfully nice change, isn't it? <laughs>
This special edition of Countdown has come to you from the studios of Olbermann Broadcasting Empire World Headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building in New York. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits, most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, the Countdown musical directors, guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, all orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music, the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, appearing courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever, and everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 776th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.